I'm uh, Nicholas Borners of Capital Link, and I'm delighted that we're starting our second day, our first panel of the second day, with a focus on one of the most critical topics the industry is facing today. How to design the ships of the future? What types of fuels, engines, and Halen ship designs to use, uh, and the technology going with it? So we have to, uh, a panel of uh, very high level executives who are going to share their insight on this topic. I would like to thank Mr. Hayato Suga, Suga-san, uh, Corporate Officer of Class NK for actually putting this panel together and for moderating it. So I will welcome also the panelists, uh, but I will let uh, Suga-san um, introduce them. Again, thank you to all of you for being with us and special thanks to uh, Class and K for uh, putting together and moderating the panel. Yes. And thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Bornojistan, and the kind and the warm and the openings. <laughs> Hi, hello, and uh, everybody. I'm Hayato Suga and uh, Class and K, Tokyo. And uh, uh, I'm uh, uh, taking the role of the moderator of this session. And uh, this session is uh, just, Morunoji uh, san said, uh, designing ships of the future, fuels, engines, hardship design, and technologies. We have recognized that decarbonization pressure has been increased, and furthermore, in future. It may change not only the ship design specification, but also the shipping itself. Under such circumstances, we are expected changes on designing ships. What should, we, is a consider, uh, what should be considered into the design? What to uh, develop the develop technology for this purpose? Today, we have five distinguished panelists from ship owner, ship builder, and uh, engine manufacturers. And uh, now I would like to welcome all all panelists and ask to briefly introduce yourself. It is ready. And uh, I would like to ask the uh, Motoisan first. Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Tatsuya Motoi. I'm an executive officer of the uh, Kawasaki Heavy Industries. And I'm a naval architect and specialized, specialized in structural design of uh, gas carrier. Energy and LPG carriers in Kawasaki heavy industries. While you may associate Kawasaki with motorcycle, we have a wide range of technology for energy and transportation equipment, equipment such as ships, airspace, rolling stocks, distributed power generation system, precision machinery, and robots. By applying such technologies, we have been developing uh, products that's uh, necessary for realization of hydrogen energy supply chain, ranging from hydrogen production to transportation, storage, and utilization. I hope that uh, today's discussion is meaningful and helpful to all participants. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next is uh, Ueda-san, please. Is it? 
Thank you, Suga-san. Um, well, my name is Marco Fiori. I've been, uh, I'm, I'm almost at the end of this chain of shipping because I've always been running shipping companies. So uh, I can probably see what probably will be needing and what our customers need. I've been uh, for many years in uh, D'Amico, international shipping. Now I have joined the last two years, uh, Premuda in, uh, in Italy. And we are concentrating very much on, uh, on tankers and dry cargo ships, but probably more with a flair for tankers, uh, keeping on to my old habits. I've been very accustomed to uh, doing business in Japan. So I'm very, I'm very honored of being put on this panel because I think Japan still, it is uh, one of the major participants in the shipbuilding and in the shipping industry. So uh, I think my contribution should be more on discussing of what we need the needs of these ships uh, and what we think will be useful in the future anyhow thank you very much Tugasan, and uh, thank you nicolas for having me on the panel thank you very much and uh, next on the mr Anderson, please. Uh, thank you mr suga and thank you for the invitation here today um, my name is lars anderson i'm working with vatsula I've been here for some 30 years and uh, half of that in Asia, um, actually 10 years in Japan. Um, new building projects and customer relations, technology introduction, these things that I've been working with for the most part. Uh, for example, the dual fuel engine technology introduction for LNG carriers. So I'm uh, very happy to have the opportunity to be here today on this panel and looking forward to interesting discussions. Thank you. Thank you very much. So next, uh, Dr. Bamparis, please. Good morning to all. My name is uh, Lucas Barbaris. Uh, I'm president of Safe Balkans. Uh, we are uh, owners of a fleet of about 43 dry bulk vessels. Uh, and uh, we, we are uh, uh, focusing uh, our attention uh, uh, right now in the transition to greenhouse gas uh, new regulations that will be adopted. Uh, we believe, I mean, we have uh, uh, done, let's say, we, we are always proactive in terms of uh, environmental protection, uh, having installed in most of our fleet ballast water treatment systems in half uh, scrubbers. And uh, it's a very important uh, uh, target right now to us, uh, the achievement of uh, uh, of new legislation with the greenhouse gases. Thank you very much. And uh, how about on the weather, Sunday? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah, please do it. I can you hear me? Okay, okay. I'm sorry, maybe my uh, computer is not working well. Okay, uh, I introduce myself. Uh, my name is Shin Weda. Uh, I'm working in Mitsubishi Shipbuilding, headquartered in Yokohama in Japan, and in charge of the Marine Engineering Department. Uh, as a member of Mitsubishi Heavy Industry Group, uh, Mitsubishi Shipbuilding uh, contributes to the development of marine industry through shipbuilding and shipbuilding-based marine engineering. In recent years, with an eye on the future of the ocean and ship, we have uh, been actively engaged in activities to provide ships and related technologies and our vision of marine future streams. 
So today, uh, I would like to exchange views on the future environmental technologies related to future marine future stream. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So now uh, we would like to move to the actual discussion. And uh, for easy consensus for the discussion point, I have prepared one, uh, one, uh, one sheet here. I will share it. So uh, this is just showing the, our distinguished panelists and the title was in the, our uh, session. And uh, this is just showing, showing the situation here. And I think there are the two main viewpoints to be considered for this session. And the uh, first one is the uh, future change of the shipping itself, such as a new trend of the ship type, ship size, cargoes to be carried under the decarbonization pressures. The shipping capacity is expected to be continuously expanded, but uh, on the other hand, the peak demand of cost, somebody said has passed, for it to be maybe in near future, gases maybe 2030, something like that. So and what will happen? That is one viewpoint. And the other viewpoint is deduction of the CO2 emitted from ships directly. And uh, this is uh, directly linked to the new technology and the ship design. It includes and uh, uh, increases the ship, ship performance efficiency by hard design, additional fittings, and the supplemental powers, etc. So change of the fuel and the engine propulsion system is also the key point. And from this point of view, I would like to ask some questions for our panelists. And then we would like to exchange the view each other. And the first one is, and how do you think about the changes for future shipping by decarbonization pressure here? and such as a new energy trend, trading in view of the conventional fossil cargoes. Also, what is the market demand on this? So I would like to have the uh, first comment and from the Weather-san, Mitsubishi Industries. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I see uh, the electric power demand, demand increases with the progress of electrification, but electric power becomes a carbon free uh, using renewable energies. In the field of uh, transportation, electric motors uh, will be promoted for a car and hybrid system may be adapted for trucks and uh, carbon free fuel will be adapted for ships and aircraft. In the industrial sectors, the shift to carbon-free fuel is also progressing. In the steel industry, which is expecting large-scale carbon-free fuel demands. However, uh, some other industry sectors, such as petrochemicals, may face challenges. As 
was the case in the fossil era, uh, regional differences in cost of power generation and in competitiveness of industry will also arise in the renewable energy era. Then the demand for large scale energy storage and long distance energy transportation will be required. And in parallel with the expansion of the renewable uh, energy, it will be necessary to use the CO2 capture uh, in order to maintain economic efficiency, I think. For example, in thermal power plants, the use of hydrogen or ammonia in addition to the conventional fuel will significantly reduce the CO2 emission but uh, some partial conventional fuel needed to be needed for keeping economic efficiency. Then the CO2 needed to be captured at the power station for a while. So during the energy transition period, power generation and industry will be necessary to capture the generated CO2 as well as use of the new energy sources. So the energy transport port flows begin from the primary energy source, such as renewable energy and natural gas and so on. The hydrogen is produced from renewable energy and the synthetic methane, synthetic ammonia, and other mediums will be stored and transported to downstream side. An energy value chain will be created on the case-by-case case of the consumers, such as gas turbine case, fuel cell case, and direct use in the steel industry case, and so on. Hydrogen, which is obtained as a, a primary energy, will be transformed to the other media for transportation and handling. But if technology is established, hydrogen long distance transportation is also possible, I think. The CO2 is not an energy source. Uh, however, the, on the backside of the energy transportation, the CO2 transportation for storage or recycling will be considered in, in your future, I think. Thank you very much, Veda-san. And uh, uh, how about uh, Mr. Fiori? Do you have any uh, opinion, comment here? Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Suga. Uh, my opinion is that uh, th there are several, uh, several things I would like to say. Number one is that uh, is this change in for the future? For sure it is. I don't think that it's something that we can escape. It is now, uh, it's not only a, a fashion, this is something that we have to learn how to live and we have to adapt. So number one is something that's there existing. Number two, I think that all whatever we are doing today, it is very much on a transition phase. Why transition? Because I think it's not sure yet, as we have heard and we're going to hear, there is yet a clear answer on what is going to be the future of uh, propulsion on ships. However, this has to be matched with the fact that uh, ships are needed. So during this transition phase, uh, we'll have to find ways uh, 
of maintaining a number of ships which will be supplying the energy and the raw material which are needed in the world for this uh, during this period of transition. So I think that uh, all of this considered, I think for sure we're going to be uh, looking at different ways of, uh, of proceeding. I think there's been some very clear indications uh, because also you must understand that we are very much pressured and talking on a, on a ship uh, uh, operational side. We are pressured very much now by our customers who really want an efficient, and especially now they want also somebody with a low carbon imprint in the world. So we are also very much pushed by our customer base. So I think we'll have to find some things for, uh, for, uh, for this period of transition. And uh, the final result, I think uh, it is still very much uh, a matter of debate, but I think inevitably we're going to see this change. And I think that the clearest uh, market-wise uh, indication of this is that a lot of traditional participants in the new building arena, they have slowed very much uh, orders at shipyards because nobody's very sure about what is going to be the future of, uh, of, uh, of the propulsion. So I think that for sure now we need to have some clear indication for what we're going to do during this period of transition. And, and as very as fast as possible, we really need to understand what's going to be the future because otherwise there's going to be created this huge backlog between uh, between uh, what uh, what our customer wants, what the world wants, and we need to provide also to all of these participants some clear indications. So for sure, there's going to be a, a big change in demand, and the, and the carbon footprint has to be lowered. Now I think it's a matter of debate how we're going to do it. Okay, uh, th thank you very much, and uh, I agree. Uh, there are many uncertainties there, <laughs> so we will uh, carefully uh, expect in the in future. And uh, uh, how about uh, Dr. Bamparis? Do, do you have any comments here? Yes, of course. Uh, the question is about uh, the changes in shipping due to decarbonization pressure. And uh, of course, uh, we all uh, can understand that new legislations arise and are adopted, like uh, carbon intensity indexes, uh, like uh, and uh, in the levels of IMO. And we will see uh, taxation schemes adopted gradually, uh, which probably could become uh, more uh, expensive later. So, what should we expect? is, um, a, a, I mean, lesser operational efficiency and less energy efficiency of older vessels and less uh, and uh, more consuming uh, vessels compared to the most recent and most uh, energy efficient vessels that have been produced more recently, let's say phase one, phase two, or phase three vessels that will be produced after 2025. So we believe that uh, we will have uh, a world in the, in, in, in the following years where we will have, let's say, various uh, tiers of vessels that uh, need to be compete, and some will compete and, and will be more expensive. As we go along, of course, the question uh, arises in relation to vessel designs. So we need to, to see the response of the, let's say, universities in terms of fuels and uh, yards in terms of designs uh, that. Uh, 
will produce more efficient vessels. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I cannot uh, comment right now. I mean, as a company, uh, we have ordered uh, uh, vessels that uh, correspond to emissions of uh, phase three. Uh, vessels, but only a few yards produce such vessels. So I think that yards need to invest. Uh, the shipping community need to, uh, to continue the research in order to have reliable solutions in the future, because we can see that we may have certain solutions in 2023 onwards, even with slower steaming, uh, but uh, we will not have the required solutions for 2030 or uh, further on. So uh, there, there is a big change in the industry. As I say this, I mean, as a company, we transport dry, we're a dry, uh, dry bulk uh, uh, cargo company, uh, pure dry bulk cargo. So we transport uh, dry bulk. I say all this uh, from uh, our point of view. Uh, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So in the, uh, I think the tier three complying with the vessel is still strong power uh, to be chosen and uh, also the some of the expected future to be considered carefully. And uh, so I would like to move to the next question related to the set market. And uh, what is expected for new energy career and uh, such as the design concept and the specifications and any other? So from, uh, for this kind of question, I'd like to ask the, uh, Mr. Motoi to have the comment. Okay, thank you, Suga-san. Uh, as for the uh, energy resources, uh, in the field of stationary power generation, the use of ammonia and hydrogen is investigated as zero carbon fuel. According, accordingly, needs for transportation of new energy, such as ammonia and hydrogen, will be gradually increased. Uh, renewable energy, such as wind power, and solar is candidate for a new energy, but I focus on energy media which can be stored and conserved. Well, there are uh, pros and cons of usage of ammonia and hydrogen. Ammonia can be transported by LPG carriers and storage tanks can be designed by existing technology. But safety precaution for human and marine environment in case of leakage is required due to its, tox uh, its toxicity. Well, as for hydrogen transportation, there are some alternatives, liquefied hydrogen, ammonia, and chemical hydride. I think liquefied hydrogen seems to be quite reasonable because additional energy of reforming is not required and it can be used to fuel cell or internal combustion engines directly. The point of hydrogen carrier is cargo containment system. Liquefied hydrogen is uh, cryogenic, uh, minus 253 degrees Celsius. It is nine, 90 degrees Celsius lower than uh, LNG. And uh, hydrogen is easy to evaporate. The choice of cargo tank material and development of high performance insulation system is uh, required. And also design concept of hydrogen carrier is quite different from LNG carrier because uh, liquefied hydrogen is seven times lighter than LNG. For new energy carriers, uh, 
a cargo of ammonia or hydrogen would be used as marine fuel. Ammonia engine is uh, now under development and certain manufacturer announced delivery in mid uh, 2020s. Therefore, design concept would not be changed, but cargo volume will be increased as market demand. And there exists some propulsion system for hydrogen fuel. Electric propulsion system using fuel cell is demonstrated in small vessels. For small vessels, fuel storage volume is quite small, and such system will be uh, implemented in practical use within a decade. Some projects are ongoing. For widespread of hydrogen use as marine fuel, uh, development of large power propulsion system and the large fuel storage tank is expected, I think. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I have just wondered uh, such a very specific in the, uh, specification of the hydrogen, liquefied hydrogen carriers. And, uh, and how about uh, Mr. Fiori? Do you have any comment for here? Well, I think um, I think that uh, what's going to be requested on, on the shipping world is going to be, uh, as I said before, efficiency and a low carbon mm -hmm. footprint. But then yeah. all of this um, has to be, uh, Sugasan has to be matched uh, with the, the fact that uh, you cannot stop transporting energy because energy is still going to be needed. Mm -hmm. So it has to be found something that is viable and also easy to transport. Now, if it's going to be hydrogen or ammonia, I'm not, I'm not sure, which, or other things, I'm not sure which system, but anyhow, has to be found something that is easy to transport. And it's also easy to load on, on board of ships and also to discharge and has to be also safe, a safe uh, material. If you put all of this together, I think that it is a very difficult question because uh, putting all these things together, moving from uh, an energy based on, uh, on hydrocarbons, moving to some uh, new things also has to be seen all the supply chain, because I'm sure that ammonia, you're talking a lot of uh, green ammonia, gray ammonia, you know, all of these things, if for producing them, you're emitting a high carbon footprint, we're back to square one. So you're not emitting it on the ships, but you're emitting a carbon uh, gas, uh, from during the manufacturing. So I think that's why the, the, the process is going to be very long and also very, very uncertain. So I think what has to be done by the regulators, the shipyards and everybody to make this process the shortest possible and also the most certain possible because I think markets always hate uncertainty and living in this kind of uncertainty is very difficult for us who will have to transport these, uh, these materials, but especially for all the shipbuilding industry, which is huge, the engine manufacturing industry, which is huge. So I think we need certainties and kind of fast, uh, because I think if living in a world of uncertainties, all of this is going to slow down and that's not good for anybody, for the consumer, for the manufacturers and for the people who have to transport it. Yeah, okay, I agree. Thank you very much, Pierre. Yes, so uh, we have them the uh, next in the two, three uh, questions that's prepared. So I'd like to move to the next question. And uh, what is the preferable, reliable design concept to increase in the fuel efficiency? So I'd like to ask a comment uh, for Mr. Anderson. 
Uh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Suga. Um, yeah, I I think that we can achieve a lot if we would start paying more attention to the actual operating profile uh, of a vessel when the design and the machinery is decided. Because as we all know today, um, the design speed and, and the scantling draft, they are like the reference points. But in reality, ships are operating extensively at much lower speeds and and sometimes I think perhaps even never at the, the design point that they were, were built for. So uh, also, if you look at the statistics uh, for the past 10 years or so, uh, the average um, vessel speeds have come down um, more than 15%. And we all know that if you operate the engine at MCR about 30% or so, the fuel economy is very poor. Uh, propeller is not laid out for that either. And, you know, compared to, with a design point, which has been perhaps 75% or so. So there's a big gap. And, uh, and I, I think that, that this, you know, this is going to change, uh, uh, you know, with Poseidon principles and the sea cargo charter coming into the picture, um, CO2 emissions is gonna be measured against the, the, the dead weight ton, the cargo carried and the voyage distance. So, so these things with, uh, fuel efficiency measured at this sort of old school design point, it's going to be much less relevant. Um, and I think that as a consequence, uh, this machinery selection process is going to be much become much more data driven. I think that's a very good thing. Um, also, when it comes to new buildings, in order to extend or, or let's say to, to maximize that compliance runway, with these decarbonization trajectories for the Poseidon and the sea cargo. Um, I think that this, these decarbonization upgrades that are available, they should also be considered. Uh, we all know there's no one size fits all when it comes to energy saving devices. And, and there's lots of different alternatives to choose from. But I think it's really important to do a, a value mapping for a new building uh, to determine if there is something in there that could make sense. And not just look at this traditional payback calculations, how much does it, does it cost and when does it pay back? You have to account also for the future cash flows that you can earn if you safeguard your charter utilization. Uh, you can look at what it meaning has for your net asset value of the vessel in the future. Uh, monetizing this carbon reduction that you have available via Poseidon uh, in terms of access to banks, preferred lending versus mezzanine finance and so on. Not to mention carbon, carbon credit regimes. So yeah, I think yeah. that's my comments. Okay, understand. Thank you very much for your uh, variable comments. And uh, how about on the weather sun? Do you have any comment for this? Well, uh... yes, yes. Uh, thank you, Suga-san. Uh, I I'm agree with the Anderson's uh, opinion that uh, of that the data driven will be important for the future design. Yeah, I think that the for uh, the way for the increase of fuel efficiency is based on the, uh, the some cl classical uh, uh, technique like uh, the air lubrication system or lot above or uh, uh, propeller cap or bow shape, stand shape, and uh, for the wind deflector or propeller pro optimization and so on. But these are uh, still
still uh, that these uh, devices is usually uh, designed on the on the point of the the design condition, uh, but the uh, in recent years the efforts have been uh, began to remotely and directly measure the fuel efficiency uh, in the actual sea condition uh, and the operational conditions. So, and it's, it is conceivable to improve the ways of the, the operation or feedbacks from the ship's design. And I think that additionally, the smart use of the energy are in, on board, such as a hybrid battery system and, uh, and combination with the, the engines is also for uh, the good uh, technologies for, for, for improve the improvements. Uh, uh, efficiency. Yeah, thank you very much. And there you have a very good comment. Suga-san, can I make a comment on uh, okay. what uh, Mr. Anderson said? I totally mm -hmm. agree with him, but I want also to add one thing that the, 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 the main key word in all of this has to be shared effort. Because uh, I've been in this business for many years, and often we find also the final uh, user of the ships is normally at the charters and then there is the general public. It has to be realized that this can be done, but it's going to entail added cost for the whole chain mm -hmm. and therefore also added cost in the transportation. Because it, this has been always the problem that two owners and operators have always been requested more modern ships, uh, more efficient ships, but then when the market it is not at, 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 when the market is very strong as it stop, often <coughs> charters prefer lower efficiency ships but cheaper ships. So I think it has to be a common shared goal that everybody has to accept that this transition is going to cost money down the line. And then also the final consumer has to be accepted. Because otherwise, does it make sense that, you know, shipping is a very expensive business. We do projects for 15 years, 20 years of, uh, of, uh, of amortization. And changing the rules and imposing us to have more expensive uh, to operate vessels has to be accepted from everybody that these costs have to be shared. And this I think is very, very important because often the owners and operators have been left with bearing the cost and always big difficulty in pushing the added cost to the second part of the chain, which is charters and final consumers. So I think this has to be very much, I go back to what I said before, has to be regulated, has to be uh, implemented in regulations in which everybody has to be chipping in this effort because we cannot be left alone to just take on our shoulders this kind of effort. Thank you very much, Mr. Viori. And uh, uh, we have the very valuable comment from the shipping and the business and also the operation point of view. And uh, now I would like to move to the next uh, question. What is the uh, expected change of fuels? That is one of the key points uh, for this session with ship design concept and uh, including the engine propulsion technology uh, improvement. So for this, and uh, I would like to ask the, and, uh, Mr. Anderson and uh, giving the comment together with some of the very specific development of the engine propulsion systems as well. Thanks, Mr. Suga. 
Okay. Um, well, uh, I'd like to start by saying that the only available green uh, bunkers that we have today, that's biodiesel or biogas, okay? And I think that's the starting point uh, when we start looking at what we're gonna do for a new building. Should we go with the liquid or should we go with the gas? And I'd like to point out that the engine technology is not a showstopper. Doesn't matter if it's biodiesel or biogas, uh, we can run on that, both of them. We can run on synthetic fuels if they are available. And we, we, always have, we also have installations of methanol. Um, yeah, by the way, methanol and biodiesel will require a catalysator to deal with the NOx, so that has to be accounted for. But, but I think engine technology is not the showstopper. It's more about you know, what, where will you bunker? Uh, what are the required bunkering volumes and tank sizes? And how many tanks do you need to have in your, in your new building? So, if you start with low sulfur fuel oil, for example, and you plan perhaps later that you want to blend in biodiesel to reduce your CO2 emissions, you may need to have separate tank for that biodiesel. Not necessarily, but could be. So it has to be analyzed. Uh, if you would like to go with methanol, that requires three times the bunker volume of, for the same operating range for your vessel. And it needs special coating and it needs a separate fuel supply system. So that needs to be considered. LNG, you know, in Ratzilla, we like LNG, it's no secret. And if you go with LNG, you have more freedom because you don't need to have a separate tank then later on, if you want to start blending in bio LNG or synthetic LNG. Uh, so, you know, just, it's all, it's all methane. So you can put it in the same tank, it doesn't matter. Um, also, if you go with LNG, you have the possibility then later on if they become available to blend in ammonia or, or hydrogen, because the engine can, can blend that, you can blend that in with the, mm -hmm. with the gas. Uh, they will of course require separate tanks and the safety aspects and systems are going to be very interesting to see how they'll turn out. Um, yeah, those more exotic uh, sort of energy carrying fuels, they, they, they're gonna have a, I think they're gonna have a big impact on vessel designs. Uh, bunkering volumes, ammonia is, 1.5 times LNG, hydrogen would be 2.6 times LNG. Um, I also mentioned already about uh, hydrogen being very cryogenic, minus 253, I don't know how that's gonna work. So it's a long way to go with those. Um, uh, we're gonna start testing ammonia this year in engines and uh, uh, we're gonna be offering them um, soon enough. I'm confident that's gonna be working fine with the engine technology, I don't see a problem. It's basically like burning a gas. Um, uh, there's discussions about what these NO2 emissions will mean or laughing gas. And they can be dealt with with a catalysator, but it's some things we still have to test. Um, but then the, the supply of ammonia, that's an entirely different discussion, I think. Where is it going to come from? Um, sorry, just to make um, on, a, on a practical point of view. I heard many times you mentioned the word, uh, Mr. Anders, so you mentioned the word catalysator. You know, we also have to be careful uh, that ships cannot become a chemical plant, you know, where we, because, uh, you know, it, the conditions, you operate far away in the middle of the world, in the middle of the sea. So, you know, you start loading catalysator and this and that. So it cannot be all on, on the shipping industry, that burden of, of finding this. So we go back that the choice is very complicated. Then the second com uh, comment is if we go on LNG, there is one word that uh, causes me always a little bit of anguish, which is the methane slippage that you're reducing the CO2 emission, 
but then you're emitting methane, which is just as bad for the atmosphere as it is uh, CO2. So we should not go in a system that we move to uh, LNG, and then in five years we say, no, 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 this is not working. <coughs> We're emitting methane, we have to change again. We cannot change every five years uh, ships that have a lifespan of 15 years because financially the equation does not hold. So I go back that has to be found one system and then we have to stick to it because we cannot continue uh, this change continuously from one system to another. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, I think there has to be very much clarity and very much of research and study which would bring the distransition period in which there's going to be slow steaming, uh, low sulfur gas with slow steaming, less emission, has to be there for a certain period of time. Because I think there's going to be needed a certain period of time for getting at the final solution. And the final solution implies something that's going to be holding what's good for the planet, what's good for us, but also what is good and efficient for the shipping industry. Because otherwise it doesn't hold everything. Uh, if, I, if I may add something uh, here, uh, the shipping industry has suffered uh, the last years from a number of changes uh, and uh, experimentations. And the one big change was the change of fuels uh, for uh, uh, sulfur oxide emissions uh, in 2020. And now we are discussing a new change, uh, which of course, and we don't, we have not developed a final solu solution for uh, the new fuel. So we don't know exactly what will be the new fuel, but we are discussing for that. So I think that uh, if we need to be, I mean, first of all, we need to be pragmatic. So we need to understand whether we want to have, uh, which will be the, first, the next fuel. The next fuel needs some uh, a phase of transition, which could be, should be quite lengthy because whatever you name, has been named like ammonia or hydrogen, etc., you need to have a global network. And this will not happen from one day to the other. So, for example, either we continue with, with, with what we have today, which is a reduction in energy efficiency measures in existing ships and new designs that will reduce, let's say, or they will increase the, they will, they will reduce the CO2 emissions by 30% and even something more. If we want to be pragmatic and we want another step, we need to, to to target uh, the methane sleep and go, let's say, for the next 10 to 20 years with uh, LNG fuel until we, we produce the new fuels that we that are required. Of course, the LNG cannot uh, change in one day, as uh, Mr. Fioi said. It has to stay for, let's say, 5, 10 years. And I believe strongly that the only available fuel right now in the market is LNG, if we don't discuss about the others. So. Uh, the industry, for example, could focus on uh, methane sleep uh, control and uh, produce a new generation. Of course, such ships are, would be much more expensive and uh, the cost should be shared also with the, uh, with the charters and the operators of, the, of this market. Thank you. I, I totally agree with you. And, and you said something that is very true. You know, we're always changing target. A few years ago was sulfur emission and it went to low sulfur fuel. Now it is CO2. You know, we have also to decide what is the final goal and stick to it because it can't continue like that, that every two, three years, okay, this is solved, let's move to something else. 
this cannot continue for us. I think uh, it's, uh, it's making our life too difficult. And what has not to be forgotten is that we're not doing a job that is totally optional. We're doing a job that the world needs. So what we have to accept is also has to be accepted by the whole world as some kind of cost or some kind of thing for continuing developing and maintaining our level of life or civilization. Then if we change also that para paradigm, then that's another story. But if we want to live the way we've been living, I think we have all to decide together what's going to be the final thing. Yes, thank you, Mr. Fiori. And uh, unfortunately, it is time to close it. So I have many things to ask our panelists, but uh, uh, time is consuming and uh, very much. And uh, so I would like to say then, uh, thank you very much for the audience and also the great panelists here today. And I would like to hand over this to the secretariat side. Well, I would like to thank you very much. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, thank you to everybody. Thank you, Nicholas. Marco and uh, Suga-san, uh, thank you for being a very skillful moderator. Thank you to everybody for uh, a particularly interesting discussion. And actually, exactly here we had uh, the shipyards the entry manufacturers, the ship owners, uh, the, the class society, really a very comprehensive and uh, compact agenda. Thank you very, very much to all of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to all. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. -bye. Thank you. Bye.